Welcome to uh, this weekend's edition of Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, today, we are delighted to uh, have Pranati Arora uh, volunteer to uh, a very improv-ly sort of uh, uh, kind of uh, do this with us. Uh, Pranati graduated from Vasant Valley School and then went to Emory University in Atlanta. Uh, so our first question to you, Pranati, uh, after graduating and now working for two years at Invest India, what do you think your life would have been if you did not go to Emory? <laughs> or rather, what did you gain from the experience at Emory? So that's actually a really interesting question. And, you know, it's a conversation I've had a bunch over the last, uh, you know, two and a half years and, you know, the four years prior. Because when I was applying in 2014, I actually had a choice between NYU and Emory. And, you know, those are both really, really good schools and everybody recognized it. I was excited about both, to be honest. But in my mind, I think the, uh, the scale was kind of tipped towards NYU. I was, you know, excited about being a New Yorker, being in New York with the environment and, you know, that entire ecosystem around you. But, you know, when I started talking to people, professionals, consultants, my classmates, there was one thing that kind of really struck out in most conversations, which was the fact that Emory is ultimately a campus and New York is a city. So when you go to NYU, you'll be in a city. You won't be in a campus necessarily. Whereas in Emory, you'll just be on a campus, being able to learn in a liberal arts environment. So I think that, you know, understanding and what it meant for, you know, spending four years on a campus setting as opposed to a city setting, just understanding the difference between that kind of enabled a choice towards Emory. So, um, you know, now that I look back at it retrospectively, if I would have gone to say a New York or you know any other university at that point, I think honestly it would have looked very, very different. I do think um, that, you know, opportunities presented to me would have been very different. Maybe I would have been a, on a different career path altogether. But um, I can say, you know, hand on heart that the amount of, uh, opportunities Emory was able to give me with regards to on-campus presence, you know, leadership roles, uh, extracurricular activities, you know, sports or debate or model UN, all of that I don't think any other campus would have been able to give me and definitely not a school that's based in a city. So I think I'm really grateful for those opportunities. Well, that yeah, I think that's uh, pretty interesting because when I look at your uh, resume, it seems that uh, you've harnessed opportunities to learn new things, do different things. Uh, and how did that journey happen, especially in the academics, thinking of political science, mathematics, and even doing a minor in economics? Was it all decided <laughs> from day one? No, no, it, it definitely wasn't decided. I was, in fact, uh, you know, going in as an economics student uh, because I thoroughly enjoyed that in Valley. I had the best teacher, um, Mrs. Chib. I don't know if you're familiar with her but she was the economic teacher at Vasan Valley at the time and she made almost everybody fall in love with the subject. So I was, you know, under the impression that I'm going to be an economics graduate and that's decided. But when I went to Emory, you know, I took the Econ 101 class, I took the Math 101 class, Calc 101, and I took a Political Science 110, which is like, you know, all introductory courses. And, you know, at that point, you know, sitting in those introductory courses, it kind of became clear to me that economics, is much bigger than all of us, you know, think it to be in high school. So I, I was strongly drawn towards, you know, the combination of political science and mathematics. And fortunately for me, I think Emory is one of the only colleges in the US that offers this joint degree where you're allowed to do both mathematics and political science. 
in fact the year that i was a sophomore my second year in college they introduced this other um bachelor's in sciences by the name of quantitative studies so my counselor in fact approached me and she said you know look we think you'll be the ideal candidate why don't you give quantitative studies a look as well and when i looked at the curriculum for that it was very computer science heavy i knew i wanted to do math and i knew i wanted to do political science but i wasn't sure about computer science at all so at that point i decided to forgo that opportunity and you know focus more on the theoretical aspect of political science as well as the theory of math and see how they both align i was in fact among one of eight students on campus that was doing that joint degree so i think it definitely gave me a edge above the rest you know a edge above the political science students as well as an edge above the pure math students and um i till date believe that that is the reason i was able to uh, you know work with the un for a bit i think the math definitely set me apart with the un application super as well. interesting so the link between say data science mathematics and political science uh, yeah. for uh, for our listeners who are in high school or currently just starting college this could be useful information uh, what are the different applications and kind of job prospects for a major like this i know undp was your first experience of working there on a project uh, tell us a little bit about that as well yeah definitely so um, you know i think with regards to career opportunities and that question i think that's something i'm also in the process of figuring out is an interesting journey uh, i would definitely advocate for it anywhere but uh, it's still a process that i'm in in the middle of um but i think you know what i think the underlying team to all subjects i think in today's day and age where we're so dependent on technology the underlying team is technology so whether you look at marketing you look at branding you know these are the obvious suspects with regards to data so you understand consumer data and you understand how you want to target your consumers but the same can be true for policies as well and for politicians in fact so you know there are a host of different organizations that are working exclusively with data and data mapping to figure out how to you know increase political efficiency political reach out and you know that's something that i think will be big in the future because now even in the indian ecosystem you know politicians parties bureaucrats have been able to understand that without data you don't have a foot on the ground because you know because of how big an ecosystem india is you need those data tools at your disposal in order to ensure you can reach your audience without the data on hand you really can't reach your audience so i think that's something that political scientists and policy makers are also trying to leverage now and you know speaking specifically for my un experience um, un as a force you know we have the government of india and then you have the un which is looking at multiple governments across geographies so for them it becomes even more important to have those data tools at their disposal so i think my primary responsibility with the un project was to ensure that the projects that the un is taking on on an active basis are seeing result to kind of figuring out whether those results are targeted towards the un's end goal or whether those programs are really you know um up you know causeless so to say or resultless so it makes makes policy action measurable in exactly, you know, exactly. even even in thick corporate life you have okrs objectives and then exactly. you measure key results in qualitative yeah. and quantitative ways so that's yeah. interesting So uh, after that experience at UNDP, uh, was this located in uh, Thailand or was this a remote sort of? Uh, uh, I was actually in Bangkok for uh, six months. I think it was uh, by far one of the greatest greatest life experiences I've ever had because uh, Bangkok is in fact the APAC um, headquarters. 
so it's you know a large campus with thousands of people bustling in and out and it's kind of very much similar to a college campus setting i was very fortunate that way that you know uh, i went from a little emery bubble to a little un bubble so i was really really fortunate that way where you know i had people from all parts of the world countries i hadn't even heard of my colleague was in fact from malawi i don't know if this says a lot about me or about the fact that you know the work that the un is doing but i i didn't even know malawi was you know a proper country at that point so i think it definitely you know increased my understanding of the scope of work that can be done at the international level and um, yeah bangkok was a great experience and then moving forward when you came back to india looking at options uh, there could be plenty because there's also uh, a whole thriving uh, uh, consulting practice which many uh, organizations runs for run for political data yeah. uh, instead of choosing that you chose uh, to work with an organization which government run invest india so yeah. tell us about that decision and what do you really do there so sure. uh, so you know with invest india you know that one of the one of my responses when people ask me you know how come you didn't decide to because i was uh, mathematics and political science got a stem stem qualification my second year there so i would have technically had those two extra years on my visa so when I, a lot of time when people ask me you know why did you not choose to stay there you had the two year extension it would have been ideal for you you know the advantage of coming back to india was that i would get to work with the government and get to work with the decision makers that's an opportunity i'm not entirely sure i would have had in the us one is that second is also working with a developing economy so you know understanding the nuances of policy making in a developed nation are drastically different from understanding those in a developed nation that is already functional you know that got got its a to z mapped out they know what goes where who's responsible for what it's much clearer there but with the developing nations there are certain you know qualities there are certain issues that come up that wouldn't come up anywhere else So I think invest in that definitely helped me leverage those, uh, you know, responsibilities and address some of those issues in a developing world setting. Invest India is the national investment promotion and facilitation agency. It's directly under the Ministry of Commerce, and it's essentially responsible for all FDI that comes into the country. So we enable uh, and facilitate investors, foreign investors, looking to. invest into the nation across sectors across geographies i specifically look at investors coming from taiwan or and or investors coming in the automobile electric mobility space so working with the uh, you know east asian countries and working with the um, with mncs that are functional in the automobile sector so i think that is like a broad undertaking of my work at invest india there's obviously been um, you know in terms of services that invest india offers it's a broad range it's a very flexible organization in that it allows you um, you know any project that you set your mind to you can do as long as you have support from senior management so have you seen the work uh, kind of workload increase because of covid and uh, the whole anti china wave so called anti china wave that the world is going through uh so yeah definitely with covid 19 our workload you know in fact more than increased it shifted completely there was a complete pivot in our job responsibility uh because initially we were helping you know just investors looking to come into the country but now what uh, with the in, with you know with the pandemic what we started doing was we started issue resolution on an active basis for business that are already in the country so this was this could be domestic uh, companies this could be foreign companies it really didn't matter 
and you know across the nation so across states and across sectors of course so invest india in fact launched this business immunity uh, platform whereby we were able to you know gather the issues that companies were facing at the ground level and resolve them in a timely fashion in fact you know one of the timelines that we maintained was you know average of 6000 queries resolved within 6 hours so that was kind of how the role changed but you know like the second aspect of it of course was the realignment of the global supply chain that we're now seeing Hey, so uh, I'll repeat the question again. So, with with the changing times and during this COVID era, do you think India has opportunities, and how is Invest India, and maybe your role, has it really increased in the couple of weeks? Uh? Sure, definitely. Uh, so, you know, with Invest India, uh, because you know we're at working with the government, uh, the government as a whole is a very flexible agency. So, you know, with rising issues with you know pandemic that. and that are unprecedented there's definitely a change in the government's outlook as well and that kind of transcended to invest india's role as well so even though with the investment promotion agency uh, our role pivoted very very quickly to becoming you know an issue resolution agency so we in fact launched a business immunity platform that directly addressed issues faced by businesses at the ground level so not just uh, you know foreign businesses uh, and large mnc's also domestic businesses that were facing issues at the state level so working directly with the state governments you know collecting making a roster of the issues um you know dividing it analyzing it a little bit to see what could be um, fixed most promptly and what could perhaps be clubbed into a larger bucket so in fact one of the things that the business immunity platform did was create a subgroup on logistical issues because a lot of companies were in fact just simply facing you know uh, blockages on in transport and you know with the um, with the import of raw material and the export factor there was just companies that weren't able to manage their logistics in a timely fashion so that's why you know invest india was able to intervene and kind of support those requirements i specifically was working on a smaller group for testing kits so everybody recognized that you know testing kits would be the need of the hour and with a population of 1.3 billion people you're going to need almost triple of those to ensure that everybody in the country is tested and you can ensure that you know the tests are conducted in a 
appropriate efficient manner so something like what south korea did with you know those testing cubicles something like that in india may not be feasible but you need to prepare for it so you know sourcing those testing kits and showing that domestic manufacturing for testing kits is also happening that's why i played a larger role in the organization and it was a very 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 interesting experience working directly with decision makers on ground because at that point it's like all hands on deck so wherever you can help you should help so is the war zone kind of environment over now people have relaxed into their jobs or do you think it's still pretty hectic at it, work it's still hectic but i think we're back to our original task of you know investment promotion and facilitation and this is why you know the second part what you mentioned about like you know the realignment of the global supply chain so to say with a lot of uh, western countries looking to move resources out of and into other parts of the country out uh, of the world sorry yeah so uh, that's what we're busy with now uh, where uh, you know supporting companies that are looking to move into india across uh, the nation doesn't matter which state doesn't matter which sector but uh, we've seen definitely an increase in interest and um, we're hoping that the next 6 months will also be as exciting as the last 3 months have been fascinating i think uh, choosing this job and then uh, being faced by a crisis it sort of uh, is uh, an experience so i'm sure you'll probably narrate to uh, your grandchildren going forward yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, the other day and my brother you know just casually said yeah yeah i'll tell my kids that i might design the vaccine and you know my mom looked at me and she's like you know you could actually tell your kids that you were working with the government in solving some of the problems at that time like it won't be an absolute exaggeration so I mean, yeah. <laughs> right so going forward what do you think uh, uh, you want to do next So, so I think um, when I think about you know my I think um, limit small career whatever it is, but career progression, um, I've had the experience of working at an international agency. I've also now had a uh, experience of working with a national government. I'm honestly as a next job role looking at something that will drive a little deeper. You know, working at the grassroots level, not necessarily on policy formulation, but also on policy implementation. So I know you know. the ins and outs of the programs that can be instituted at the national level or at the state government level but i really don't know what they look like at the grassroots level and you know for that i'm looking at some fellowships like annual fellowships now to see if you know they would be a better fit for me but i think also in the short term what i'm looking at is a masters in public policy or public administration to really uh, hone some of those quantitative skills that i held on to so strongly at emory and also continue the uh, ensure that they continue with my career after a masters sure so which ones uh, are kind of top of your list so i mean you obviously have your obvious suspects which are you know the powers princeton years of but um, in addition to that i'm also looking very strongly at programs that highlight data science with public policy uh, fortunately for me there's not too many of them so i don't have to you know do that much research but um, i think one of the programs that i'm perhaps most interested in is in georgetown which is the masters in science for data science and public policy then also at harvard there's this uh, public uh, masters in public administration for international development that also has a very strong quantitative curriculum so i would be looking at you know programs that are able to balance both quantitative as well as qualitative learning you'll be happy to know this morning i interviewed a spa student who's uh, done the masters program in harvard and okay. uh, yeah in fact her video is already up 
and okay, the podcast will be released soon. <laughs> okay, great. So uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting in terms of your journey, and uh, also know that you have some sort of clarity. Many students don't have that, and so your experiences have led to led to that decision, which is fantastic. Now, if you were to we switch gears and talk about you and get to know you, uh, so quick rapid fire responses. <laughs> uh, if you uh, were to pick three adjectives that describe your strengths, mm -hmm. what would those be? So I think my three strengths would be that I'm uh, hardworking, I'm uh, perseverant, and I think the last thing would be I'm, I think my thought process is fairly clear. So if I'm, if I'm given, say, a maze, I know how to divide it into three bullet points and think along those lines. So thinking is a little structured, yeah. Super. Next question would be if uh, you could recall an embarrassing moment or a failure. <laughs> it, so, could be, it could be high school, college, work. And yeah, what would that be? And what reflections do you have from that experience? Okay. Uh, so it's not necessarily an embarrassing moment. It's more like an embarrassing semester. But uh, when I was moving out of uh, Vassal Valley and you know the entire um, home ecosystem, and moving to college, I think one of the things that I recognized that I missed out at Emory, uh, at in Basin Valley, um, actually two things. One was extracurricular activities and one was um, social life. So I think both of those things I didn't uh, necessarily work towards at Basin Valley. So when I went to Emory, I decided, you know what, like academics is going to be on the backseat and I'm going to focus on these two things. So I got involved in everything on campus and I was out on the town on a weekly basis. And you know, that obviously impacted my GPA a little bit. And that really hit me when December 2015, 2014 came. That really, really hit me. And by January 2014, I was kind of back to the books. So I think that is like one failure or embarrassing story. Yeah. One final question now is uh, more to do with advice that you would give uh, young people who are in a limbo in a sense, because they were supposed to go to college this year graduating class of 2020 from high schools, including Vasant Valley, uh, and the kids who were supposed to get a great graduation ceremony, just like you did, perhaps, when you graduated from Emory in 2018. What would you uh, sort of have a message for them and sort of console them about you know, dealing with uncertainties? Sure, sure. Um... I'm honestly not the best person at dealing with uncertainties, so you know, take this with a pinch of salt. Uh, but uh, my brother, in fact, graduated from UIUC this um, last week as well, so he's kind of one of those kids in limbo. But I think my my honestly, my biggest advice would be just you know, trust the process. Uh, this is not a problem that you alone are facing. There is a thousand of kids, like thousands of kids across the globe, that are facing similar problems that are in the same position that you are in. And, uh, you know, if you trust the process, resolution will come. It will happen. Uh, you know, colleges recognize the problem at hand. They realize it's unprecedented. They realize it's never been faced before. And they are adjusting accordingly. So I would recommend you adjust your mindset also accordingly. If your first semester is online, it's not the worst thing in the world. It will perhaps give you more time to mentally prepare yourself for the academics in the American ecosystem. So I, I, yeah, that would be my greatest advice. Like, just trust the process. Super. So with that, thank you, Pranati. And looking forward to following your success in the future. We thank definitely you. want to invite you to uh, some of our panels that we've lined up uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, so look forward to catching up again. 
uh, with a group of other students uh, who could add more layers to this conversation going forward. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.